are listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to tell you something, people. There's this, uh, there's this young guitarist named Mike Sebastian. Well, he, he's older now, but a few years back when he was like 13, he used to listen to my show, and his and his father became friends with me on Facebook. And I remember this kid, he, he loves metal. He loves hair metal and just all kind of metal from the 80s, which is so cool because I love that, and you don't see young kids do that. But I remember he posted a video of him playing a Faster Pussycat song, and he uh, he tagged my guest today, who plays for them, and uh, he tagged him, and then my guest liked it, and then the kid was ecstatic. Well, a few weeks later, my guest, he's on for the second time, was on my show. I told him about Michael. He sent him a bunch of swag. He made the kid's day, and when I was talking to uh, Lisa Morton Woodard about getting different guests, she brought this gentleman up, and I said, you know what, anyone who's that nice can be on my show anytime he wants, and my guest is Ace Von Johnson. How you doing, Ace? I'm very well. How are you? Good. You made that kid's day, which uh, which must be great as a musician to see, you know, send something out and actually touch someone. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling. It's always nice to kind of give everybody a leg up or anything like that, especially a, a young fan. Now, you're in L.A., and I gotta ask you because yeah. in New Jersey it's not as bad. What is it like in LA right now with all the coronavirus? Uh, somber. I don't know. It's it's you know obviously it's not like the riots or anything like that. It's just everyone's sort of like the streets are empty and there's this weird. It's been raining nonstop here, which is um, very unlike uh, LA. I mean, I'm a native. I've been here my whole life, and it's been raining for the last pretty much nonstop the last three weeks. So that combined with what's going on, um, you know, in the uh, socio-political climate of March 2020 or whatever we're calling it, uh, it's it's weird. It's just weird. Everything's weird. Everything's closed. There's like, you know, my apartment building's incredibly quiet. I, I think a lot of people are like going home, <laughs> like yeah. migrating back to where they're from. But, um, you know, I... Do I anticipate it getting worse? Yeah, but I mean, as of right now, is it the, the end of the world? No, it doesn't seem to be. So things are okay. Now, now, how does that affect you? Affect you as an artist? I mean, I know you're a creator, and you know, and you're getting the voice work. I know all that. So it's affecting it with auditions and stuff like that. But on your creativity side, how does it affect you? Um, I mean, just as a, as as an artist or I mean as a, yeah. like an employed touring musician as an, um, as an artist you know I mean it's definitely I've been playing guitar a lot I can tell you that um, you know I, I I've I, I already had a lot of writing sessions more so this year than I have in ages so um, that's been encouraging but but the way things have gone over the last maybe seven to ten days with things sort of ramping up with the severity and whatnot uh you know uh there you know like i had a session on tuesday that got canceled um for a, a writing session and then i'm supposed to be doing something on sunday in the studio um uh i guess i can discuss it but uh with tiffany um pop singer tiffany so last i heard that's still on but you know if it was to get canceled it wouldn't surprise me either um, and then I have a, a voice job tomorrow, um, several hours of, of voiceover work for, um, for a large streaming service, uh, for some dubbing work and I'll leave it at that. But, uh, I'm actually, 
debating sending a, an email out just being like, hey, you know, am I still supposed to show up tomorrow or, uh, or what? But uh, it's affecting me because, I mean, you know, everybody in the in the arts is going to be affected directly. I mean, there's no office for us to go into. And, you know, once people start, you know, uh, start having to conserve, um, financially speaking, I mean, the, the first thing you know, going to be, uh, first thing to go is going to be, uh, you know, people's uh, sort of hobby spending, you know, whether it's buying merchandise or, you know, other stuff like that. So I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, really. Now, you mentioned a voice uh, gig. Now, when did you start getting into voice acting and what what brought, what made you interested in that field? Uh, well, I, you know, my entire life, uh, since I was a, little, a kid, probably like 13, 14, uh, people always would you know, would compliment my voice, I guess. I remember, oh, you have such a nice, deep voice. And then uh, I used to prank call people regularly when I was like, in high school and, like, do different characters. And, and, and I was, like, the class clown for a little while and would do different voices and whatnot. And so it just sort of was a natural uh, thing. And then in my 20s, um, I started uh, studying professionally under um, uh, several voice coaches and took some classes and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was just something to pursue in between, you know, playing music and touring and, and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, occasionally it's lucrative. I wish it was more, um, more steady work for me. Uh, but you know, I, I've done, okay, I've done a couple of things. I've got some shows featuring my voice on Netflix and, uh, you know, done a couple, like, like I did this documentary for this band called the 69 eyes that I narrated and a couple other little random things. But, uh, you know, it's entertaining, it's still creative, it's still an outlet. Now, what is it like doing voice work? Because you're, you're used to performing live, and in voice work, you know, it yeah. can be take after take, and it depends, you know, the inflection and stuff like that. What is it for you to sit there and sit in a studio? I mean, and you, you played guitar in a studio, that's one thing. But voice, it's all about you. It's, you have to hit yeah. it. Is it frustrating to you when you don't miss it, when you don't? when they say, you know, do it again, do it again? Or, or how do you go into the whole job? Uh, you know, it just depends. I, it, it, it really depends. I mean, my, my interest in that field is, is character-driven stuff. I mean, I want to be doing, ideally, you know, is uh, my dream gig would be doing animation and just be doing a bunch of different character work. Um, but 90% of the stuff I get cast for is just my speaking voice. You know, like, hi, I'm Ace Law Johnson. You're listening to the Cooper Show. Let me tell you about our guest today. It's like this sort of normal, you know, if you're looking for a smooth riding car, it's really accurate TS4. It's just all that. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like I'll openly admit that when they're like, could you do it again, but with more pizzazz, I just, I'm like, I don't, I, <laughs> I never know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I try to just approach it openly and, and, and sort of deliver what it, whatever it is they're looking for, you know, because you're, you're obviously trying to emote, um, more often than not, a bit extra with just based on your voice. Um, so, you know, it's different when you're, it's like being on stage, you're on stage and you're able to, you know, you're playing the notes, but then you're also being watched. There's a visual aspect to it too. It's like when you're just doing voice work, it's all got to be, it's all really got to be carried by, you know, just in in your voice. So if you're um, trying to sell something or, or emote or, you know, sound distressed or sound happy or sound like you're falling in love with some person that's on screen that you've never even spoken to or been in the same room with, you know, it's got to be a little 
like she's great. I love her. <laughs> you know, right. be, you know, very uh, slightly uh, a little extra, I guess. Well, you know, it's fascinating. I met a lady who um, she does in New Jersey a lot of the political commercials. You know where they go. And such and such was the reason why you lost your taxes. And it was so funny. It was yeah. so different from her regular voice. Has there anything, have you had any gigs or auditions where they just wanted to sound, you know, you sound really cheesy and you're like, I can't, I can't do that. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. The thing I, I, the thing I auditioned for that I, I got cast as for tomorrow, which I'll, I won't disclose, but, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm like a, sort of nerdy uh, I don't know if I can even say like I'm like a nerdy guy that works with kids and so I'm they're like okay but could you be nerdier and I'm like oh I, 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 I listen children I uh, like I don't have it's like what what nerdy and they're like, like no, no not not that nerdy not like, Jerry about, Lewis like, not Jerry Lewis yeah less Jerry Lewis yeah 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 exactly uh, uh, you know less flubber but, you know, so I was trying to, you know, take the baritone out of my voice and be like, well, I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of timid, and I, 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 think, the, I think these kids, and that actually took, it was so, you know, over and over and over again that I was certain, um, I actually kind of walked away from it being like, oh, I did not get that gig, and that's okay. And uh, so, uh, you know, but uh, normally speaking, I would, I would prefer when, you know, they're like, you know, I actually read for um, for a character for something to do with Minecraft at a point a couple of years ago. Um, and it was like the character was like some big ogre or some monster and some forest monster. And I that, that was like my favorite thing to do, although I didn't get the job. Um, you know, it was was be some, you know, do something else, be something else besides just, you know, hi, this is my speaking voice. What would you like for me? <laughs> Now, now, how do they react when when you do book a job and you show up? Because people, if you don't know, Ace is a full sleeve tats. He's got there. He's a rocker. I mean, he, you know, he's a, he's a guitarist. He looks like what a guitarist in a metal band looks like. He looks cool as all hell. What do they react? Do people not know who you are? Do they get a headshot first, or how do they react when you walk in the studio? Um, a lot of these places have gotten a headshot before. So, and and surprisingly, I do use a uh, sort of what you would expect me to look like type photo as my headshot. Uh, just, uh, you know, because I'd rather, I, I why pretend to be something I'm not, but, um, you know, uh, no, not really. I mean, it's 2020 and I, I live in Hollywood. Everything's locally based. So when I walk in, I, I usually come in kind of reserved anyhow. Like, you know, I might come in with like a baseball hat on and like a sweater on or something. So I'm not, I'm, it's not like I'm walking on stage. It's not like I'm coming in with like, flare chains and a blush ball over my shoulder but um you know i i just kind of come and look like myself and i just happen to be heavily tattooed and if they you know but i, I don't think anyone's ever really commented i'm sure most of these casting people and directors and, and producers and the engineers recording and whatnot are are, are kind of used to it at this point so and uh and to some degree occasionally there there's a bit of uh maybe not nepotism but um i have a a casting lady that I work with regularly, so I'm sure, I'm sure she's like, you know, probably giving these people the run down. She's like, okay, so tomorrow we're having this guy Ace come in, and he's in a band, and so he looks like uh, a weirdo. So just be prepared for that, you know. And so, uh, 
you know, no one's ever like staring at me slack jawed or anything. So I never really, I don't really think about it, you know. Now, now you said you narrated some things for uh, Netflix. What are if you, what are the projects you've narrated for, and what is the day like for a person who has to do narration? Uh, it uh, it can be a bit tedious, um, but uh, the stuff I've done for Netflix is uh, it, it was all the dubbing jobs. So as, as is my job tomorrow, so it's, it'll be a foreign television series that that Netflix um, acquires. And, uh, you know, and they'll have me do, you know, whether it's a, a main character or uh, I did uh, season three of Money Heist. And I, I think I was like four or five different characters, but they were all really tiny intermittent roles. Like, you know, I'm like security guard four and, uh, you know, bank teller two and like Steve, the door guy. And like, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And then they'll just give me like background stuff like like uh, in Money Heist, for example, I was, you know, a bunch of like different chitter chatter like over the radio. So I'd just be like saying these really mundane lines that were like when they were put in the mix, you'd never hear um, as well as like actual characters. And then I did um, I did uh, season one of a show called Marianne, which was like a French sort of Stephen King-esque uh, horror series. Um, and I'm Pierre, the lead character's boyfriend. Um, I get to at one point like become a demon or like turn into a demon or something like that. So that was, that was cool. Um, you know, and, uh, as far as the narration stuff, it, it like I said, it can be a little tedious just cause you're, it's a lot, it's a lot of reading. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like it. It's an interesting spin on, uh, my grown up sort of a career besides being like guy in a band on stage, you know, whatever. Now, what would be the ideal character for you? If someone said, hey, Ace, here's the deal. We're going we're to do an animated show around you. You get to pick the character. What would what would be the character that you would want to do? I, You know, I, I have no idea. I mean, I would, you know, the more the, more the merrier. But, um, you know, I, I mean, obviously being myself comes second nature or relatively. But, uh you know, I, I don't know. I just you've kind of put me on the spot there. I think, you know, and then also with that comes the sort of like pretentious like actor or voice actor thing where it's like, well, I'd really like to, you know, Steve, I'd really like to study my character and like kind of get a vibe for like what he's going for, you know. But most of the stuff I do is is based on like real people, like when when and I never tell them, but like they'll have me come in, you, you know, and if somebody I have gone out for a few animated things or, or even collaborated like a, you know, you know, Don Jameson, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. From, from, yeah. So Don Jameson from that metal show, he's a, a dear friend and whatnot. And, uh, he and I were developing an animated series for a little while. We, we took it to pitch a few times and, and did the whole thing. And, and the, we did a live read and, uh, I was, I, I'm going to say all of the characters in the show, except for two. And, uh, it was interesting to sh- Shuffle, shuffle, uh, shuffle, whatever, shuffle between all, some word, some, uh, between all of these characters, um, and I'm just reading the scripts live and going, you know, like I'm like, well, this is Steve's voice, and this is Lee's voice, and this is Mark's voice, and this, you know, this is this guy's voice, and like going between all of them, like just like the characters having conversations all at once uh, was a bit interesting, but most of the time I use like. I utilize like a uh, <laughs> uh, a certain singer of a band I've been in and out 
You know, you talked about your bands. Now, when I had talked to you, I don't know how long you were in Pat Faster Pussycat at that time. I think you were in How did you get involved in Faster Pussycat? How did you end up joining that band? Okay, so uh, 2009, I was, uh, I was playing in a bunch of bands when I was 20. Yeah, it had been about 25. So 23, 24, 25, 26, my mid-20s, uh, I was in just... At any given moment, I was in like seven to a dozen bands, and uh, it was exhausting to say the least. But I was working with just as many people as I could uh, that were, you know, that would get me work. And so, uh, and I found myself in all these like strange little spin off side projects. Like I was in the band with the guy from Danzig, and the band with the guy from, you know, Hell yeah. And the whatever, you know, and the band with the guy from Wasp and the band with the one guy from LA Guns. And so it just, I was never in that band. I was in the band with the drummer and the band with the flautist and the band with the singer. And uh, I was playing in this Americana rock band called Charlie and the Valentine Killers. And, um, and it was, and, and the sort of short version of it was uh, Charlie uh, Overby is this sort of, country Americana singer guy now, but in the late 80s, he was like a glam guy. He had a band called Big Bang Babies. Um, and their sort of claim to fame was it was where um, Kerry Kelly, uh, the guitar player, came from who went on to play for Rat and Alice Cooper and Slash of Snake Pit and and, uh, and now he's a Night Ranger, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, uh, Ch uh, Charlie was my booking agent. I was playing in all these punk bands and whatever else. And he was like, man, you look like, you, you look like you'd be in a rock band. And I was actively trying to you know, be a rock guitar player rather than, because my roots are uh, a lot of punk rock bands, and uh, sort of skipping through all this. And so I joined his band, and he had, like, Brian Forsythe from Kicks on guitar, and Chad Stewart from Faster Pussycat on drums, and Jerry Montano from Danzig on bass, and blah, blah, blah. 
that project worked for a while, and we did like a tour with Headcat, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead's other band, and uh, some dates with the Reverend Horton Heat, and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's how I kind of met the Pussycat guys. Eventually, Danny Nordahl, our bass, the bass player from Pussycat, would join the band as well. And this was probably like 2008, 2009, for about a year, year and a half. And then in 2009, uh, Pussycat needed a guitar player, and Chad and Danny were like, oh, we know this guy is and tattooed and easy to work with and whatever and I guess looks the part and can play okay and there that was it and I, I met Tammy and I met him a few times and I went over to his house and I sat there in his living room with one of his Les Pauls and just kind of like ticked with it he was like oh, I, I can see you can play Bubba and I was like yeah he's like alright well you don't don't suck and that was it and that, there was no there was no audition and I, I learned uh, you know 15 songs and showed up and we rehearsed once and I went on tour. That was the end of it. And that was about 10 years ago. Now, what was it like going on tour with a band that's known, because you had been in the punk rock boys, you, the punk rock bands, you had toured with other people, but Fast for Pussycat has yeah. a following. What is it like as a musician getting it, going out and knowing that, you know, you know there's going to be a crowd there? Well, I mean, I, I'd already done all that. I mean, I, I had, I mean, as far as just like playing the crowds, I mean, I'll be frank, in 2009, 2010, 11, 12, Pussycat wasn't really doing that well. <laughs> um, you know, uh, they were still kind of, Tammy was still trying to do the kind of like Marilyn Manson thing, and uh, I don't know if there was just a, a, a dip in attendance or if it was, um, I'm going to attribute part of it to uh, maybe the set list choice or whatever. But, you know, I, I don't recall entirely because it's been a lifetime. But, um, you know, for me to go out, I mean, we were playing to like, you know, 150, 200, 300 people a night. And, I mean, I'll be honest, I mean, the first tours I ever did when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21, um, I was playing in front of 500, 1,000 people a night and, and in different bands in my 20s, you know, in the U.S. bombs in Europe. I mean, we were playing in front of 1,000 people a night. So it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't intimidating, I'll tell you that. You know, it was just another gig. And uh, the thing I like about Pussycat and LA Guns to some degree is there is a, a lot of, of um, punk rock, sort of basic roots rock, whatever you want to call it, rock and roll. You know, it's like four, twos and fours and, and uh, Chuck Berry. You know, it's like, it, there's no, you know, Pussycat, LA Guns and stuff, uh, you know, a couple other bands. It's not Ingve, it's not, well, I mean, Tracy is, but like, I mean, as far as like the, the, the meat and potatoes of the songs, uh, you know, you're looking at like some, you know, it's just blues. So it's, it was easy for me to uh, walk out there and, and do. And, the, you know, like I said, the crowds weren't anything intimidating. There, there are a handful of big festivals we play here and there for, you know, 7,000, 10,000, 12,000 people. That, that can always be a little bit of like a strange vibe, but it never, it never really bothered me. You know, if anything, it was just sort of being the new guy in a band where people were like, well, where's Brent Muscat or where's the guy you replaced or whatever. But, you know, like I said, it's been so long now that, you know, um, after about two two years of that, I kind of, that, that died down. And then I would say the last, you know, I haven't played, I haven't been on stage with Pussycat in about six months, but um, maybe a little longer, but because um, I basically permanently subbed out. Um, but, um, you know, and considering the climate now, I don't know, you know, if anyone will be getting on stage anytime soon. So who's to say? Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was it was a fun experience, and, and I, but I was never really intimidated or anything like that. I just kind of went out there and did my own thing with it. 
Now, when I had talked to you, you hadn't been with L.A. Guns yet. How did that come about? Yeah. I, know, I know Tracy's been on the show, and L.A. Guns is a legendary band. And I know I, I read an article on you earlier that, you know, there's there was another faction of L.A. Guns, which wasn't really L.A. Guns because it wasn't Tracy Guns. But we'll get into that. Yeah. But uh, how did you? How did they approach you? Because you know you already had you had a good gig. You liked you get into the sound work. When did you join LA Guns? And, and did Tracy look you up, or how did that happen? Well, I mean, you got to consider I've known Tracy and Phil since you know the first year I joined Pussycat, just by uh, you know guilty by association kind of thing. So uh, I've had a I, okay. So I came into LA Guns. Uh, formally in August, um, about what two years ago, year and a half ago, uh, 2018, and uh, they had—I don't think there's any secrecy here—they had been asking me to kind of come do the gig for about a year. Um, they had been discussing—I um, mean, you know, there's like whole like what, where, what can I say, what can I say? Uh, I, I think you know the guitar player that they had when the reunion happened, uh, Michael Grant was a really talented, is a really talented guitar player, but they had been kind of looking to, um, I think, you know, this is just coming from me. Uh, I think they'd been looking to let him go for a little bit. And, uh, there had been some, um, he had been sort of problematic behind the scenes, if you will. And it's interesting when I see these sort of message board warriors chime in with their two cents, versus what I hear from the people I'm working with. When they're like, oh, that guy was so cool. And then the people I'm working with are like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> um, and uh, and other factors, many other factors, which have nothing to do with me. And so, you know, they let him go, and then they call me, and I go, it's not a good time, guys. And then they get another guy, and whatever happened there, and then they call me, and I go, it's not a good time, guys. And so they called me over the summer of 2018, and they said, look, you know, we've got um, Adam Hamilton filling in right now, but he can only do so much. Um, you know, we're in a bind. We really need a guy. And we go back to work on, you know, whatever this date is. And I said, well, I'm, ho I'm home and I'm available. So why don't I try it on for size, you know, and we'll do like a probational period. And that was my, that was my sort of um, stance on it because I didn't want to, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm 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 in a ten year marriage to Pussycat, and this young this younger, more attractive woman is like, go on a date with me, go on a date with me. You know, I don't know what to compare it to. That's that's a, the only analogy. And so I'm like, okay, well, the wife's out of town, so I guess we can go on lunch. You know, and so and uh, don't get any ideas, ladies. I'm not that terrible, but um, I, I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Like it was kind of like that. Like I was being courted, and. Uh, Phil and uh, some of the management came to see me at one point in Vegas, and they were like, you know, kind of giving me the run, run, you know, rundown of you know everything because uh, you know after being a pussycat for so long, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, bathroom wall, okay, whatever. And um, you know, and that doesn't mean I don't love those guys, but I definitely was ready for a bit of a change. And I went out there and I did the two week tour, and I had a really good time, and I just kind of never left. And, uh, you know, and uh, for about maybe almost a year, for about nine months, ten months, there were no schedule conflicts. And so I would, at some, and then later on, eventually I had to um, handpick a sub to cover me and Pussycat, this, this kid named Sam Bam. Um, Sam Bam Colton, and he's doing a great job with them right now. But, um, but so that was kind of... 
kind of where it, it came from. I already knew them. I already, I mean, the first tour I did with Pussycat in 2010 was with Tracy and his version at the time of LA Guns. You know, there's that whole up and down and who's and what and blah, blah, blah. And luckily, uh, Tracy and Phil, uh, a few years ago, did the right thing and sort of squashed everything and, and put their differences aside, started doing acoustic shows together, I think, and then eventually decided to uh, basically reunite what everyone wanted, which was Tracy and Phil. Now, how much of their music did you have to learn? Because, you know, I talked to uh, Rudy Sarzo, and when he joined Blue Oyster Cult, when Blue Oyster Cult would play live, people would just yell, yell random songs out, and they would play them. Yeah. And so Rudy had to learn, like, every damn song, like, the most obscure shit from whatever. What was the learning process for you? Oh, man, I can appreciate that. But also, that being said, Sarzo's a, a total, uh, you know, savant with that stuff, so it doesn't surprise me that he can handle it. Uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, like, I, I would say at least, you know, twice a year, I get set in some situation where I have to learn, you know, 75 minutes worth of music or, or whatever, whether it's uh, uh, the throbs or Yerky from the 69 Eyes or, you know, Elegons or whatever the hell else it is. But, um, it, you know, I usually, um, I usually try to take it in chunks. So for, for LA Guns, I think I was given 21 songs. Um, and knowing that not all 21 were going to rotate through entirely, although I think I have played all of them at some point or another. But, um, and I'd go through and I'd do four or five songs at a time, you know, and I would say like, okay, Monday I'm going to uh, maybe, ch depending on the gig, because this is, um, Tracy calls me the other lead guitar player, but I mean, I'm basically just the rhythm guy or, or melody guitar. And so, um, you know, I've got maybe three, three or four guitar solos during the show, or, or, or harmony solos, or whatever. But it's not a lot of heavy lifting, which I'm okay with. Um, to be frank, because with Pussycat, I kind of did everything, and it got, and it gets a little, you know, if I'm going to be in a two guitar band, it, it's like you want to have somebody to bounce stuff off of. Like, okay, I'll take solo on song one, you take the solo on song three, blah blah blah. But um, you know, going through and charting it in a basic manner of like, okay, so uh, rip and tear, okay, that's an A, you know, and then it's just, you get into, you have basic music theory, and you're like, okay, so it's an A, so it's going to probably go to C and a G and a D and maybe an F, or it's a bridge in, in E or F sharp, or it's just like, you, you kind of know the, the, the patterns, you know, and, and, and then again, like I said, it's not like some crazy uh, Paganini, you know, uh, it's not Flight of the Bumblebee or whatever it is. So, um, and, or, or like, you know, even songs like, uh, uh, of Jane or, um, uh, One More Reason, stuff like that. I'd already played on stage with Phil, um, over the years where, like I said, being friends with those guys, like Phil would be like, you know, Hey, why don't you come up and play some songs with us tonight, mate? You know, and I'd be like, all right, uh, you know, what, what key are they in? <laughs> like, so, uh, I knew, I knew probably a a fifth of the set already and it, it was relatively easy it didn't take me very long I think there were probably about three or four maybe three songs that, that were a little troublesome um, and, and as far as like sort of learning the arrangements and, and getting the little you know shuffly riffs down but you know by the end of the day I think I only there wasn't they wanted to audition me and uh, and I don't I just don't like that term and I basically was like look you guys know me you've been calling me for a year if you're calling it an audition call call someone else i'm like if you want me to come down and jam i'll come down and jam 
I was like, but if you're if you're having me come down to audition and I'm going to sit there in a, in a lobby with some other people, you know, nervously clutching their guitars, I'm like, come on, give me a break. So I went in and I played everything and Tracy showed up and he was we ran through the entire set and he was like, are you guys booked to rehearse tomorrow? And we were like, yeah. And he goes, cancel it. You guys, you're, you're good. He's, he's done. It's fine. It's good. And that was it. And so, uh. You know, just like the Pussycat thing, it was relatively painless. I think I think we got together maybe twice before we hit the road, and off I went. You know, yeah. so and and it was the same same thing. The other four guys were like a well oiled machine, and and I was the sort of like little puzzle piece being put in place, and it wasn't really that difficult. Now, in layman's terms, not you know people who aren't musicians, sure. give me a quick explanation of the difference between a rhythm guitarist. And a lead guitarist. I mean, I know leads lead, but what is the difference and the and the function you play in the band? Uh, in layman's terms, uh, the lead guitar player is the guy that's doing like all the guitar solos and a lot of the main melody lines. Uh, perfect example would be Guns N' Roses. Uh, you know, ninety five percent of the guitar solos or licks you're hearing. Uh, I don't want to discredit Izzy, but for the most part, it's Slash. Um, and, and then the rest of it, you know, all those big, big power chords and stuff, or, or perfect example, actually the ACDC, you know, Angus Young, uh, jumping around all the guitar solos, all the little like thunderstruck, the little, all that stuff. That's all him. And the other guy's just the guy going, hitting those big chords, you know, down, 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 you know, and that's his job is just sort of is to hold down the rhythm. And, uh, you get a lot more liberty as a lead guitar player, you know, and, and the rhythm guy somewhere between, um, you know, is sort of a glorified, uh, you know, extra texture on top of the bass player who's uh, more of a percussive, uh, you know, in, in line with what the drums are doing, you know, all the all the kick patterns of the drums and whatnot. But, uh, you know, your normal rock band is, is five-piece band. You know, you get your front man, your lead guitar player, your rhythm guitar player, bass player, drummer. You know, look at the Rolling Stones. I mean, although they've got probably three or four auxiliary players, you know, you get, you start getting fancier the bigger you get. But, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're just kind of holding down the uh, meat and potatoes of the song while the lead guitar player does the solos, the guitar solos, and, and you know, uh, depending on the gig. There are plenty of bands out there where the guitar players are both lead guitar players. I mean, uh, you know, the Eagles, um, kind of like that. Um you know, uh, I'm sure I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. What are some bands? Um, I mean, even Def Leppard now. Um, I mean, they've got Vivian Campbell on rhythm guitar, although he's arguably a better guitar player um, than Phil Collin is in my book. But, uh, you know, so that's two lead guitar players. They might not both be playing lead at the same time, but uh, they're both uh, competent, capable lead guitarists, depending on the song and what, you know, who wrote what and whatever else. So it just depends on the gig. You know, and in my position, I'm mostly rhythm, although there's plenty of songs where I do, uh, you know, over the edge, I've got a solo and a harmony solo and uh, I've got a solo bit in uh, Rip and Tear and uh, some other songs that now we haven't played in a few months. I can't remember their names, but, <laughs> you know, busy work. Now, I think I saw a tweet from Tracy that, that some dates, was it the Australian tour or some dates were canceled? Yeah, Australia's indefinitely postponed, um, obviously, with the way things are. And, and, and they, that was sketchy. Um, so I don't know. I haven't received any sort of word from management. That I know what you guys know. 
right now my concern is keeping a roof over my head and eating um and uh you know traveling is not doesn't really sound very appealing at the moment so um you know i I don't really know what's going to happen um i think you know to assume that i'll be back to work by the late summer or fall is fair but i also know that that's sort of subject to change so I, i obviously know everything um for the next three months is um is probably scrapped or postponed i know we had some stuff scheduled for april that has been rebooked for the fall um so i'm hoping that that's that's a good thing but i mean you know obviously with the way things are right now the world could end so i mean i i say that in jest but um you know i also have every expectation or some to some degree that things could uh could get way worse and that could be that could be that you know so uh i don't really have any you know people are already message dming me like hey when's the march the whatever show in april getting rescheduled i'm like dude i got bigger problems right now you know as does everybody else like let's not worry about some rescheduled rock show you know yeah how do how do you how do you psychologically handle this just for the fact that you know it's like anything you know people go to a job they go and they work. You have a schedule of shows that you can't, you didn't schedule other stuff because you're a musician going on shows. How do you psychologically deal with that once it happens? Do you sit there and go, holy shit, my calendar's open. What am I going to do? I mean, how do you keep yourself together? Well, Steve, <laughs> I haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, I had a really busy year um, booked starting uh, April, then it was going to ramp up, and I was working um, pretty much May 4th through um, August uh, steadily, and uh, currently I'm looking at taking a five-figure hit um, personally, so um, not really too stoked on that, but, you know, it's not, it's not like selfishly, it's not, it's not just me, I'm not, it's not, I, it's not like, you know, not like literally literally for the first time in my lifetime it's not like the rest of the world isn't also equally going through some sort of um other you know similar um, crisis so i'm really trying to just um take it one day at a time um you know i'm like i've got my rent paid for the month and presumably uh next month and i'm fortunate enough to you know uh, I have other revenue streams and I have a savings, you know, all of that could change very quickly. But uh, if push came to shove, you know, I'll be okay for, you know, it, like it basically, if I can't get on stage and work my, my normal job, which is as a musician for the next 12 months, I'll survive. It's going to screw me indefinitely. But, um, uh, you know, I, I'm just sort of looking at the bigger picture right now, which is like, you know, like how do how does the world recover from this viral thing and you know when do we get back on track or how do we get back on track and if and when you know and is this going you know is, is this the stepping stone towards you know a, a larger worse scenario et cetera et cetera so I'm not really you know. I'm not really trying to like look at it like, well, when am I going to go, you know, my tour? 
you know, so I'm fortunate enough to where, you know, my rent is paid and, and I've got, you know, a month's worth of food in the fridge and I'm just sort of taking it a, a week at a time right now. And beyond that, I don't know. I, I'm just as concerned as the next person. So, I, you know, I, there's no secret there. But uh, beyond that, I, I have no idea. You know, your guess is as good as mine. For me, for me, what blows my mind is because I did live in L.A. for so long. I've seen pictures of the 405, but they're empty. And, you know, the Sunset Strip is empty. And, you know, as someone who lived there, as I lived there for 18 years and you've lived there forever, it, it has to be very weird when you sit there if you had to get in your car when there's no traffic. I mean, the old joke used to be, I mean, you go out for voice auditions. You know, if you sat there and you had an audition at 2, you'd leave at 1, and that's the day you make it in 10 minutes. So you'd be sitting outside for like 50 minutes with nothing to do. It must be crazy yeah. just to sit there and be out and see empty streets. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, honestly, I haven't really left the house much in the last, uh, in the last week. I went, uh, I got a phone call from a, a friend um, about a week ago, yeah, on, on maybe Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, he was like, hey, I've got a friend that works for the mayor uh, of L.A., and uh, they're going to be instituting some things here in the next 72 hours, which they did, and he was like, you may want to go get all your errands done and go stock up on some groceries, and I did, and so the last time I really left the house was roughly a week ago. I went did some grocery shopping and I think I went out once again over the weekend um, and yeah and it, it's 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 vacant everywhere um, I mean there's obviously still cars on the road and stuff I mean it's LA there's a, I don't know how many tens of millions of people here but uh, it's definitely not like what you'd expect uh, the traffic's minimal um, and another thing to factor in too is everything's closed uh, the movie theaters are closed the bars are closed restaurants are closed unless you're you know, getting a pickup order, uh, the coffee shops are closed. There's nothing to do, you know, so it's, it's slowly forcing everyone to stay home. So, um, which is partly why I assume that my um, voice job tomorrow will still happen because people are still going to be cranking out uh, entertainment. So I imagine to some degree. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. You know, I'm just, I'm like this little ant in this microcosm of uh, chaos right now. And so um, I think, you know, everybody's sort of celebrity status or whatever uh, is is really put aside, you know, and it's like, I, I feel like everybody that, like all the Kardashians and all these people, like it's like right now at this time in, in, in the world, it's like, you are so not special. You're just like everybody else. Stay home, get your groceries, shut up, you know, and, uh, and just be grateful that you're, you know, you can spend your time with your loved ones and try to take care of yourselves. And it, all the sort of, uh, you know, social media uh, influencer BS is put to the side. And it just, it's, it's very real. It's, very, it's like a wake-up call. And, uh, you know, it's like, all right, like basic needs, get your groceries, take care of your loved ones, uh, try to pay your bills and, and survive. And so I'm not really looking at anything at this point. Like, you know, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking outside and thinking about it at other in any capacity other than like, man, I hope everybody's okay. And, uh, and, and whatnot, you know, and well, you, you mentioned it's, just, it's, it's okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, it's just really a bit of a, it's sort of a 
wake, uh, wake up calls not the right expression, but it's just sort of like eye opening is what it is. It's like I'm, at, you know, when I take the dog for a walk and I'm out there and there's like I'm not seeing anybody, you know, uh, it's just sort of a way. It's eye opening. So yeah, I was going to ask you. You mentioned social media and you're on Twitter. You're at Ace Von Johnson, and and it's. Uh, yeah. It says Pitbull Advocate, and you mentioned your dog. Now, tell me about yeah. your Pitbull and how you became an advocate. And I know you're involved with us, showyoursoftside.org. How did this whole love of pets come, and what do you do to help the dogs? Because I know you post a lot on Twitter about them, but how did this whole part of you begin? Uh, it's kind of something I've always sort of done one, one way or another. Um I, I I have no idea. I've just always been a, a, a fan. Of, I've just always been a dog person. And uh, I think around the time that I got my dog, Mila about six and a half years ago, uh, I was starting to uh, just get acquainted with some people in various uh, rescue groups. And... Um, I, I don't really know. It was sort of a slow burn. It just seemed like the right thing to do as someone with a platform and, and like, you know, this F level of celebrity or whatever you want to call it or notoriety is more, more likely, um, you, you know, and, and um, you know, that's not a celebrity, such a the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, notoriety. And, and so as, you know, with social media and everything else is, is you know, people are able to make themselves look um, like they're more important or busier or, or whatever than, than they maybe really are. And I'm the first person to admit that that's me. And uh, I, I, I wanted to utilize some of that uh, for something positive rather than just like, oh, look at me, I'm in a band, and I, look how cool I am. And so I wanted to do something that kind of gave back and always being a, a animal advocate and especially dogs and then, uh, you know, larger dogs and, and pit bull types and whatnot. And then once I got my dog, uh, I got, which I was already aware of sort of the plight of the pit bull, but um, the, you know, sort of vilification of these dogs, uh, probably starting in the early 90s and, um, and whatnot. And I just uh, was happy to kind of use what notoriety I had to kind of uh, circle back and try to draw some uh, positive attention. And not only just pit bull types, but uh, as well as like just uh, other you know rescues in general and uh, networking and and I and I've met a lot of people um, you know that it, it's it's networking it's sort of the strange like almost like underground railroad like someone will call me or, or send me an email from like Chicago and they're like oh I've got this Labrador that you know it's a amputated leg in, in outside of Illinois and it, it needs it needs a foster and I'm like oh well I've got this rescue in uh, Iowa that'll come out there and pick them up, you know, and then you're sending emails and introducing people or, or connecting the dots or, and then a lot of it's just, re, you know, with social media as you're reposting stuff or tagging people or, or sharing or, or, or whatever. And so a little goes a long way. Uh, it's that snowball effect. And, and I've been fortunate enough to, to befriend a lot of the people in that field that I really respect. Uh, Rebecca Corey, who's a well-known comedian who also runs um, Stand Up for Pits, which is a wonderful, uh, really, uh, I guess successful would be the word for a really uh, successful uh, pit bull uh, rescue organization. Uh, Linda Blair, who you may know from The Exorcist, uh, she has a group called Linda Blair World Heart Foundation. Um, uh, my friend 
Deirdre with uh, pinups uh, for pit bulls out of Philly, uh, just a bunch of people. And so, um, and I, I could keep going. And so I'll just go, hey, you know, a friend of mine reached out in Sioux Falls, Idaho, Iowa, or whatever the hell. Do you know anyone that can help? And, and it's just a lot of that. And so a lot of my free time, a lot of the stuff people don't see is, is, is me trying to devote stuff to that. And I've appeared and spoken at, like, weird events and, like, you know, and uh, given dissertations on, like, uh, why, uh, you know, uh, pit bulls are, pit bull type dogs are, you know, you're, are one, they're wonderful uh, crit, critters, creatures, and, um, you know, and it's unfortunate how the media has maligned them over the last 30 years, and, and how I was watching a movie with some friends two nights ago, and they had these these wild dogs running around, and they were like the bad guys in the film, and they were all Dobermans and uh, and German Shepherds and, and whatever else, and I pointed out, I said, oh, look, this must have been before we decided to make pit bulls the, the go-to uh, bad guy dog, because for a while, in, in the it used to be, uh, it was Dob- Dobermans for a while, and before that it was, uh, in World War II, it was German Shepherds, because they were German, you know, and, uh, and, and, and whatnot, and it's unfortunate that, that these types of dogs um, have, have been utilized by the wrong people to, uh, to do terrible things because, unfortunately for them, they're such wonderful animals that one of the qualities that's bred into pit bull types, which is a type, not a breed, um, that they are going to listen to you because you're the owner and their goal is to please you. So if you, Steve, have a pit bull and you go, I want this dog to fight that other dog, eventually, not all of them, but a substantial portion of them will go, well, dad wants me to fight this dog, so I'm going to fight this dog. But ideally, what they would really rather be doing is like this one is right now, is laying on my lap, uh, you know, being a a loving pet. You know, people forget that for every, you know, uh, uh, fluff piece they read in a newspaper every six months there's you know 10 million other pit bull type dogs out there that are doing nothing other than just being someone's pet and doing nothing wrong so that's why i get frustrated with with any sort of negative spin on anything like that it's like you're more likely to get bit by a chihuahua or actually i'm not i'm not even going to get into the statistics of it but trust me if anyone wants an actual fact-based layout of information on, on pit bull types, I suggest going to pit bull, pitbullinfo.org, and there's a bunch of uh, stats from the CDC and from the AKC and whatever else that basically show you that they're just as normal as any other type of dog, and you're just as likely, it's like it's like if you approach a dog and it growls at you, you're like, I'm not going to put my hand by that dog, because clearly it doesn't want to be pet, you know, um, and so uh, there just seems to be some sort of uh, stigma attached to to the term pit bull nowadays, which a lot of people, like such as myself, have gone out of our ways to uh, debunk. And I think successfully, and I think the more people that pay attention to facts and that they're just dogs, uh, the better. You know, and, and, and also to take into consideration why the statistics are what they are and why there are so many of them in shelters is because, like I said, it's a type, not a, a breed. So you're also factoring in four, five, six, seven different actual breeds when you say pit bull. It's like saying, I'm from Europe. It's like, well, what part? You're from Paris, you're from Germany, right. you're from, you know, uh, Austria. It's not the same thing as going, well, he's a, he's, a, he's from Texas. It's, it's a bit more finite.
life than that. So, anyways, that's my rant on on that. But it's something I'm happy to spend my time doing and and give back on. Rather, you know, it's more to life than sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, so I'm happy to sort of focus my attention now, on on dog rescue and pit bulls. Now, what is showyoursoftside.org? Show your soft side, man. I, I wish I had more info. Show your soft side seems to be run by some people that are sports affiliates, and uh, I think I think it started with um, them campaigning uh, against obviously uh, animal abuse, and I believe it started with some um, sports some sports uh, some athletic whatever the term is some athletes uh, and uh, celebrities in that arena. Obviously, I, I, I'm not a, a sports fan. To degree. I don't know anything about anything. People ask me about football and soccer and baseball, and I'm like, I don't know. Is that the one with the stick? <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, and, and a friend of mine um, who is actually a, a well-known uh, NFL agent, uh, this gentleman named Chad, uh, reached out to me, and uh, we, we actually, it was he, myself, and Fred Corey from Cinderella, and we were discussing uh, animal advocacy and, and, and whatnot, and uh, and our own individual work, and Fred does a lot of stuff, as does his wife, and uh, and uh, two wonderful people, of course. And Chad was like, "Well, hey, I know the people at Show Your Soft Side," and I said, "Oh, I think they're a great campaign." And you know, he put us together, and they said, "Hey, we, we're familiar with your work," and actually uh, name checked a few things that I had done, so they actually, you know, had, were familiar with me rather than sort of, you know, just like, "Oh, yeah, sure, faster, put you get whatever," and. Uh, and we put together a photo shoot and uh, did a campaign, and it's me and Mila, and you know, just uh, kind of showing, uh, you know, dogs are dogs are people too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about it. No. Uh, you know, I kind of let them do their thing with it. I, I got a question about Mila and uh, and your sure. Ouija board on on your on your Twitter. As I said, people, it's Ace Von Johnson at Ace Von Johnson. And, and yeah. your website has a Ouija board. What's the connection with you, the Ouija, and why is your dog laying on the Ouija board? Okay, well, it's interesting you should say that. Uh, I've always had, since I was a kid, I've had a, a, an interest or an affinity for uh, Ouija boards. Um, I'm a fan, of, I'm like a big fan of horror movies and ghost hunting and the macabre and collecting taxidermy and weird stuff. And so as a kid, I always wanted a Ouija board, and my mom wouldn't let me have one, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and there's some long-winded story about where I found one by a dumpster downtown, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just always was sort of intrigued by the aesthetic value of it. And for a while, I was uh, I used to collect them. So I've got a, a bunch of Ouija boards ranging back to the uh, uh, 18, late 1800s, actually. And... Um, and so she, in that photo that you're talking about on my Twitter profile, is a, is a giant carpet that somebody gave me. It's a giant rug that looks like a Ouija board. So I liked that she would just lay on it, and she looked like a giant uh, the planchette that you would put your hand on to move around. She just looked like a giant dog planchette on this giant Ouija board. But uh, it just became sort of my theme to uh, like merch, basically, like T-shirts and and, and whatever else. So, and it just was something to kind of reference that was spooky and kind of unique at the time. Although I feel like a lot of Ouija board themed stuff has been kind of done to death now. So I, I kind of laid off a bit, a bit, but it's just something I thought was spooky and had an interest in. There's no real like hidden message or anything. I'm not like summoning demons yeah. to uh, help <laughs> my cause or anything. 
Anyway, I just have to ask you because it's a great picture. But uh, so I want to thank you for thank taking you. time today. Um, now, now yeah. people can get in touch with you at Ace Von Johnson. Uh, look, look for your um, voice work. Hopefully, you, you can tweet. You know that once your thing you're doing tomorrow, if it stays, will you can tweet about what it is when once it happens, right? Yeah, I would imagine I'll be able to talk about it probably in about two or three months. Um, you know, if we if we all if we're all alive then. And so, uh, you know, uh, you know, Instagram and Twitter at Ace Von Johnson, A C E V O N J O H N S O N. Uh, follow me there, and you know, uh, keep up with whatever I'm up to, whether it's dog rescue or voice work, or uh, if you need someone for voiceover work, please reach out. I'm always looking to work, and I can do stuff from home or or whatever else. And uh, you know, catch me hopefully on tour with LA Guns at some point. That's awesome. Well, people go, please check them out. Follow them on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Instagram, at Cooper Talk 1. You can find over 780 episodes of my show at www.coopertalk.net. And you can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.